Show Music Written and recorded by Jedediah B Follow on Instagram at sentient underscore vent Thank you for listening Now back to your scheduled program To the Dirty Decibel. I am Matt A, your host and touring sound engineer. See, for the past decade, I've been traveling the world as a roadie to the stars. And over that time, I've met and worked with some extraordinary people. And now, I'd like to share with you some of their own personal stories. Through our conversations, my goal is to bring a rare and candid perspective to their ups to their downs, and to their all-arounds. This is the show where you will truly find beauty in the dirt. Let's roll. What up, fam? Merry New Year! Ha 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 ha! It's beef jerky time! But for reals though, it is a new year, and we're kicking it off proper, with a brand new episode featuring an audio engineer whose musical journey is rather extraordinary. It's a journey that's led my guest down parallel paths where over the past 10 years, he has been working simultaneously both in live sound and in the recording studio. So as we get into our chat from his apartment in Los Angeles, my guest shares how his musical journey actually started a little later in life as a teenager when he ended up joining his high school band and becoming part of the drumline. And it was through that experience when a few of his band teachers recognized his passion for playing and recording music, later encouraging him to further pursue an actual career in audio and music production. So, after he graduated high school, and from the help of one of his teachers, my guest started interning at the Roxy Theater in West Hollywood, California where he spent the next year or so sharpening his skills and learning as much as he could about live sound. And even though at the time his main goal was to work in a studio, it was the fast-paced thrill of working live sound that ultimately hooked him. And so it goes. Eventually my guest was hired at the Roxy Theater and quickly became one of the more skilled and reliable sound engineers on the Sunset Strip, where, like most up-and-coming engineers, he first started off by mixing monitors and then over time, made his way to also mixing front of house. But as my guest states in our chat, even though he did love mixing front of house, he ended up gravitating more towards mixing monitors, which allowed him to work more directly with the artist. And if there is one thing to note about being a monitor engineer, it is that it's absolutely one of the hottest, if not the hottest seat in the business. Because as a monitor engineer, you are directly responsible for making sure that the artist is hearing exactly what they need in their monitors in order for them to have a comfortable performance. So if things aren't going right or if it's not flowing like they want it to, then it could be very, very rough. So 
Through our conversation, you'll hear my guest share some of his experiences of being the monitor engineer at the Roxy, specifically when he was mixing monitors for the all-star band Camp Freddy, and at first, how challenging that actually was for him, but then also, how much he ended up learning from those fast-paced, high-pressure situations that usually come along when you're working with such accomplished musicians. And as I mentioned at the top, around the same time frame that my guest began interning at the Roxy, he also started interning with the multi-platinum record producer, Oren Yoel, who became a mentor to my guest and taught him valuable lessons in terms of actually how to run a studio recording session, and also how to become quicker and more proficient at using the recording software, Pro Tools, which my guest definitely took advantage of and then later utilized when he became Oren's full-time recording engineer, where together they recorded albums by Miley Cyrus, Fits in the Tantrums, Tori Kelly, and many others. Also in our chat, my guest will dive into his relationship with the reggae artist Ziggy Marley, and how over time, he went from being just his monitor engineer, to also becoming his production manager, and then becoming his studio engineer. As well, my guest will share how he eventually transitioned Ziggy and his 10-piece band from using monitor wedges to using in-ear monitors, and we'll discuss some of the challenges that came along with that. And then to round out the conversation, my guest will get into his experience of using Clang Fabric, which is an innovative 3D personal in-ear monitoring system that he first used when working with the Persian artist, Ebi, and then later also using it with Ziggy Marley, and how that ultimately created the right quote-unquote vibe that is so important to Ziggy and his live show. My guest really enjoys making the most of his tour days off by going on adventurous explorations with his crewmates, and his favorite recording studio to work at in Los Angeles is United Recording, formerly known as Oceanway Studios. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Dirty Decibel, my dear friend and Grammy-nominated engineer, the affable and adaptable, Duran Dina. D-O-R-O-N-D-O-R-O-N, 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 it's Duran. Dina, what's up, dog? <laughs> I just wrote that for you. I hope you know that. <laughs> I love that. That I, was awesome. That was a great. So, that was awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, I was It's always earlier. good to have a theme song. There you go. So when you start your own podcast, <laughs> I, already, I just wrote it for you, dude. So I just need You'll a credit here there. That's right, some royalties, exactly. <laughs> just make sure you got, I just want to make sure you engineer the track. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, that way I get the, the crisp, clean vocal sound. <laughs> Definitely. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, uh, thank you for having me here. And, yeah, of uh, course. I'm just, I'm happy to talk to you, man. Yeah, me too, man. Because... Uh, I mean, honestly, we don't get to see each other a lot, or we don't even really get to talk to each other a lot. So th this is really nice, man, and uh, and I'm just grateful to have you on here, man, because you are a very interesting cat. And the more I started looking <laughs> into you, the more I realized you were quite the anomaly, man. You're like a mystery almost. <laughs> you know, you're very low key on the social network, <laughs> and uh, like I said, I don't see you as much. And so I was just the more I started 
looking into you, I was like, man, I'm really excited to talk to Duran because <laughs> I really don't know much about him, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. So thanks again for coming, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, what have you been up to since uh, the last six months? You know what's going on? Um, I've been home. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like most like, of us, right? <laughs> um, I've been home and doing doing a lot of studio work from home, trying okay. to keep busy at home. You know, and I I think the big thing for me is trying to keep in touch with um people that I haven't talked to in a while. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, that's been important to me for sure, you know, family, friends, stuff like that. Definitely. But just trying to stay busy at home, you know. Mhm. So you got your own little studio home set up? Yeah. Yeah, I have just I mean, nowadays that's all you need is speakers and Yeah, yeah. an interface, you know, and then you can do everything else in the box pretty much. Mix in the box. Exactly. Do you use uh, Pro Tools as well from home? Yeah, um, I'm, I, I pretty much do everything in Pro Tools, editing, mixing, all that, that yeah, fun yeah. stuff. Your software It's just choice. easy. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, it works. It works. I think um, I like it. That, that's what I started with. And yeah, me too, man. It's just, um, I, I hate to say industry standard, but it kind of is. <laughs> In it's the true, recording though. world, like in the studio world, you know, it, it, yeah. it's also oh, what I do like about it is it's easy to when you're with a client or working with someone, it's mm -hmm. fairly easy. It's a, it's a it's a good visual representation of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's easier to have the same language with clients. While, while using Pro Tools, so gotcha, it's a good piece of software. Yeah, because that's important, you know. Because obviously, musicians or artists or clients, in your case, they're sometimes they're not as in tune to the certain technical aspects that our job is involved with, you know. So to articulate that to them and for them to understand um, is important. Make it sound green. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, because that's something that we uh, we learn as engineers over time is how to uh, communicate with, you know, our clients in in terms of description of the sound, what they're hearing, what they're feeling. And a lot of people, I feel like, or a lot of artists struggle with communicating with their crew or whoever they're engineers, whatever they're working with, because they have like a sense of insecurity because they don't know how to, you know, describe what they're hearing or what they want to hear or what they should be hearing sort of thing, so. Totally. I mean, to add to that, also, it's not their job, you know? That's exactly. why they hire us. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's why they hire us. It's our job to interpret that mm -hmm. and um, uh, take those wavelengths and yeah. uh, put it down on paper, basically, you know? Yeah. And, and their job is to create it. Exactly. Exactly. Just why We're just trying to make it easy, as easy as for them as possible, you know? Because the less things they got to worry about, the better the pro the better that the performance will probably be, right? Totally, in in any format, recording, live shows, live all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I totally agree. It's our jobs. Hell yeah! And uh, I gather, since you know what I know of you, you're a very laid back individual, and you seem very. 
easy to get along with. Is that something that's worked to your benefit um, in your career, like working with artists in, in the studio and on, in live sound? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, actually, I'm a I maniac. <laughs> <laughs> Secretly. <laughs> Secretly. <laughs> Don't <yeah>. tell anyone. <laughs> um, well, the whole world knows now, dude. Yeah. Let's get it. I don't know. I mean, I guess I try to be. So if you say so, I guess so. Um, right. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's important because I, I feel like, I don't know, whenever I hear, I I do hear that and people say like, you're so calm. And in my head, I'm like, am I? <laughs> in my head, I have 100 things going through my head of what I need to get done, what I need to do. What, yep. Am I saying this the right way? Am I, you know? Yep. So I don't know, maybe it comes out being calm, but I, I mean, I think it's totally an important trait. I, I think it, it, it's it's for anyone in, in the music industry to have a calm, collective space. It makes people feel comfortable around you. Mm-hmm. And um, that's important. It's just like the first thing we were saying. Uh, it lets people be themselves and um, let them be creative and do their jobs um, on their own, so yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's important. I don't know if I have it. Maybe I do, but I I think um, it's definitely an important thing to have. You know, especially you have a show and it's counting down to a show, and you don't want to be the one that's sweating and running like a headless chicken and <laughs> looking for this or doing that, and like you know, uh, you want even if things are going bad, you want to maintain the confidence and composure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. It'll, 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 it makes everyone around you be better. Hell yeah. That's funny you, you say that. I mean, that you're the same as well. Right? You, I mean... Yeah, no, totally. You, you're the same as well. You're totally calm and just like... You have uh, the radio you, voice as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were saying that, dude, I was thinking... I was specifically thinking of a certain moment. Because uh, actually, the last time we actually saw each other was back in last October oh. 2019, <laughs> right? We okay. were in Mexico, you were with the neighborhood, and I was yeah. with uh, Vampire Weekend, and we were, we did a couple of festivals in Mexico, but the last one that we did together, we were on the same stage, so you guys were performing before us, and uh, and I was getting ready, I was doing my thing, and you were set up next to me, and I remember, <laughs> right before they are about to go on, you're sitting out, something was going on, so you're having some technical issues, and you're kind of going I back I think it was forth. at the end or something, right? At the end of the set. Oh, was it during the set? Okay. I think because you were getting ready for your set. Oh, okay, that's what it was. I think so. But yeah, like, so when you were talking about running around, that's what it reminded me, I was like, oh, see? Because <laughs> my perception of that was like, oh, Duran's having issues, but man, he's being super, he's like super calm, he's just like handling it. You're, you were like being assertive and you were like you know getting to the problem but you weren't like ah you weren't losing your shit or nothing you know Uh um and that's what i remember thinking like ah i know exactly how he's feeling right now yeah 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 you know (laughs) like i've been in the exact same position and yeah like you're saying you just have to say keep your composure do your best to stay calm but also let the artist know that you are asserting a sense of like like, hey, this has to be taken care of now. Like, right. you know, like, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. So that way, you know, they see, they could see that visually. That way, they can continue playing and do whatever they're doing with peace of mind, knowing that you're trying to take care of whatever's going on. So, totally, yeah. I mean, e- even in that situation, it's like, the, you know, the the artist, like you're saying, the artist or the singer is looking at you like something is wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. What am I supposed to do here? You know. And so, mm-hmm. if you're if if you're running around and and not like you're saying, being assertive or confident and calm, then it's going to trickle down to them as well, and yeah. it's going to totally affect their performance for sure. Yeah. Do you have you ever been in a situation where the artist is the one sort of like freaking out and then that trickles down to you and then you're like, uh, and then it just sort of like, you know, fumbles you up and gets you all, you know, stressed out a little bit? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that I mean definitely when I was starting out for sure because um I think I had that, but um maybe I didn't perfect that exact uh, quality, Mm -hmm. but it's just part of the main thing is having the confidence and that happens over time and and experience through experience. Yeah. 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 Totally. So you're saying basically, well, let me, let me take it back a little bit because um, originally you started getting into music at 18 years old. I saw. And you went, is that when you, after you graduated high school, did you go straight into music after that? Pretty much. I mean, I was in high school in LA and I had a music teacher there that, mm-hmm. um, I had two music teachers there actually, M- Mr. Farmer, who was like the band teacher. And I was in Shout the drum line. Shout out Mr. Line. Farmer. <laughs> Shout out. I was in the drum line and, um, oh, nice. he was, he was a band teacher and I, always just kind of look to him of like, what do I do next? I think I'm into music. I don't know what, I don't want to be a drummer, but Mm. I like, there's this thing engineering. What is it? And I didn't really know what it was exactly. Right. Um, Because before then I tried to make music and I enjoyed it, but I never felt like, Oh, this is like, I, I can do this. Mm -hmm. But then once I kind of was, learning about engineering and understanding what it was i was like oh this is i think where my heart lies or this is what i can do mm-hmm. and um he just kind of guided me to to do it and i had another music teacher mr z shout out mr z um mr. Z. he uh brought me to or he was doing a performance at um the roxy on okay. sunset and Doheny in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a small club and he was like, he was, he was also a producer. So he was a music teacher and he was producing bands and stuff like that. And he was like, I'm going to get you, this is how we're going to do this. I'm going to get you an internship at the Roxy and then like go from there basically. Cause I was like, what do I do? How do I learn? What do I, yeah, yeah. what steps so, do I take? Exactly. You were, sorry, man, but you were just in a public school at this point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so these are just the musical programs that you had in school. And exactly, exactly. Oh, that's cool, okay. Um, and he was like, we're, you're, you're going to come, or you're going to say, we're going to say you're like the next, you're going to be an intern there. So he introduced mm-hmm. me to the sound guys there. and um, While you were still in high school? This happened, yeah. Or right after <laughs> high school, okay. Yeah, it was nice. during high school. And I think it was like the day I graduated or the day afterwards, um, we, I I had, I came back to the Roxy. Um, The engineers that were like, hey, just come on back. Like, we like you. You have a good vibe. Come back. 
um, let let us know when you're free. So it was either the day I graduated or the day afterwards. There was a show. I can't remember the first show. But I, I just started interning from there, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I got into to engineering. I, I was doing, like, I was doing some, um, there was this thing called Grammy Camp. Grammy Camp, Grammy Camp. Learning new things at Grammy Camp. That was made by the Grammy Awards, Grammy Foundation, um, which mm-hmm. was really, really great. And it was like two weeks in the summer in high school. I did that. And there was like a music production engineering uh, course. Mm-hmm. And that was that kind of also opened my eyes of like, OK, this is what Pro Tools is. This is kind of how you oh, use okay. it. Yep. This is kind of what signal flow is. But then once I like got that hands on internship at the Roxy, that's when I was like, oh, OK, this is kind of what this is about. Yeah. 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 It started to make more sense and uh, started to become more clear to you about what kind of path you wanted to take in the it's in the uh, music world, you know? Yeah. Because uh, there are lots of paths that you can take when you start to get into audio, you know? From live sound to studio to post to, you know, totally. um, network TV stuff, whatever, you know? There's there's a million options, which is great, and uh, which is one of the things I love most about what we do, you know? Yeah, and I think that you can, even if you do one, you can always take your um, skills to the other. This far, I'm gonna take my talents to South Beach. Exactly right. It it, it totally cross crosses crossovers. Over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and even when I was starting out, I was like, I don't want to do live sound. Why would I want to? I, I don't like concerts. <laughs> why do I? I want to be in the studio. That's listening. It's hard. And um, it just the I don't know the bug got me. I once I I started working like live sound. I was like, oh, this is awesome. But yeah. It's the it's the thrill of it, the adrenaline of yeah. being in that moment, right? Yeah. Um, well, prior to that, had you ever gone to any concerts or experienced a live sound event or anything like Honestly, that? Honestly, no. I was I was not. I was I I music wasn't like a big part of my life in the sense of I wasn't going to concert with friends or mm-hmm. it wasn't like music was played at home. It oh, was wow. more like a personal like i would listen to it myself and it was like a very personal thing for me mm-hmm. and then once i kind of like i saw this opportunity of like oh okay maybe i can do this that's when it was really like music was very important for sure yeah kind of found your calling yeah right? definitely you found your purpose you're like oh. <laughs> what was uh what was some of the music that you might have been listening to back before that that because i knew if that was sort of personal and to you you know um a lot of stands out (laughs) um a lot of like hip-hop and pop a lot of the radio i think maybe what uh, like going to school um my mom would always play pop radio 102.7 kiss fm and i think that i just i i like that stuff um and at at that time but i then tried to to do my best to just listen to everything then then i was part of a carpool um i think it was maybe middle school or something i was part of a carpool 
that we'd listen to K Earth One Hundred One. It was just oldies. Okay. Yep. So um, I always you just tried. To, you yeah, did. I'd always yeah. just try to listen to everything, just everything, mm-hmm. you know. And then once I really like music was a job, that's when I really started learning more about different music and and um, different. And what genres. you like personally? Yeah, almost. yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And and even if I don't like personally, to respect it, you know, and exactly like yeah. especially now. And I'm sure you know we work with so mm-hmm. many different groups and bands, and you might not listen to it again after the concert totally. or the next day. <laughs> totally. But you're like, I I respect what they're doing. I understand what they're doing. I understand what they're trying to do. And mm-hmm. um and yeah, I yeah. Just, you just want to like yeah do your best to reinforce whatever they're doing, right? Yeah, and to respect what they're doing, and to you know totally. Try to make it translate to how they see it or feel it and how they want to portray that, you know? Totally. And that's what makes our job so unique and, and fun because we have that challenge every time we step behind that console, you know? Every time. <laughs> yeah, every time. <laughs> every time. That's funny you say that also because when I first moved to L.A. and I started getting into audio, I was very much had the mindset of like, I don't, I'm only going to work with this band, yeah. these type of bands. I don't want to work with any pop music or anything, blah, 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 yeah. you know, all this stuff. And I quickly learned that, man, you don't, <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't be choosy like that, you know, like you should be grateful and understand that the higher you get up in the business, you're going to be working, the, the real money gigs are like the pop gigs and stuff like that, you know, that you may not have liked or appreciated but once you sort of get into it you can kind of see and understand the the intricacies of of their music and 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 like you said it's our job to to translate that in a in a live sound format and we can't do that to our best unless we really open ourselves up to their artistry you know and accepting and not be so judgmental and just be open-minded towards the music and allow that to help us translate their message clear, you know, and definitely. And so, and you never know um, what, when you start, you start working in a certain genre where it'll lead you to, or suddenly you're mm-hmm. like, you know what, maybe I did like this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I like, I listen to a lot more bands now that I never would have thought I would well, have in the past, here. you know, because of I've worked with them or I just... listen to reggae. I never thought I'd be listening. To right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you just never know. You never know, mm-hmm. and and, and it it, it kind of also goes to like you never say no kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you just, yeah, it's uh, important you stay kind of up to date and just kind of knowledgeable of the different styles of music, um, and how people expect them to sound. The different styles, you know, and sure. different tricks and things like that, because that just makes you more diverse and more valuable in the long run. Sure, you know? sure. So that's dope, man. So when you um, when you started working at the Roxy or interning at the Roxy, how long did that go before they actually hired you? Was it something about, that took a minute for you to sort of pick up and grasp? I I I it was about a year um, okay. before I I got like my first um, paying shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I was I, I'm I'm grateful for that year. I I kind of think like maybe it should have been longer. I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, well, you know that's the way it goes sometimes, right? Yeah. No. Totally. Um, 
and uh, it took about a year. And there was a lot of, there was a few other interns. I, I remember during that time, there was like maybe three other interns um, at the Roxy and just kind of part of the Sunset Strip crew mm-hmm. that were kind of like going around Viper Room. and. So this is around there. 2010, 9, yeah. 2009, 2010? Yeah. Somewhere in there? 2010, 2009, 2010, exactly. Okay. Um. And even like 2011, I guess. But um, uh, we, I I started seeing like, okay, these other guys were getting hired. Why am I not? Uh, Or like, I started seeing they're getting shifts or Mm -hmm. they're getting gigs and stuff like that. Why am I not? And I'm, I'm pretty sure I felt frustrated at that time. But now looking back, I'm so grateful that I had that time to like, I, I can make even more mistakes i can learn Mm -hmm. even more i could take the time and um i'm totally grateful for that year of like not uh not getting paid and just grinding it out just going to every show that i can and learning and learning and then when the time was right the time was right Mm -hmm. everyone has their own timeline so exactly yeah 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 that's i think that's important what you mentioned too about sort of comparing yourself to your peers and colleagues and and see what everyone else is doing and then getting down on yourself because you you don't feel like you're living up to that or why aren't things happening quick enough for me stuff like that you know so but like like you said everyone has their own time their own journey you know so and it's so easy to do that to to mm-hmm. compare yourself it, 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 even outside of music but mm-hmm. in, in anything you know it's so easy to compare yourself And um, you just have to, everyone's different. You have to think everyone is different. Everyone's on their own timeline. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things work out for a reason. I mean, I can't remember specifically, but I know there's been many times where, like, I didn't get that gig, but then I got something else, and Mm -hmm. it was better for me or something like that, you know? Yeah, when you actually stop to, I'm sure you've Oh, yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, like, when you actually stop to, like, think about it and you're like oh and then you kind of replay the steps in your head to get totally to where you got you are where you're at right now you know you're like oh shit okay i was so frustrated about that that choice earlier which i didn't realize it was going to lead me to where i am now and this yep. is exactly where i need to be so yep that's dope man yeah yeah and it takes you know it just takes a second for us to like said to stop and to reflect for us to realize those moments and then appreciate them you know so yeah it's hard in in as it's happening it's hard to do that mm-hmm. yeah because your, your ego kind of gets in the way and totally you start you know doubting yourself and feeding yourself all the shenanigans yeah so yeah <laughs> yeah yep. that's dope man and um was dan the production manager at the roxy at that time <laughs> dan, yeah dan was um he was he's such a good guy yeah, um, yeah. hell yeah he dan saxton he what's was, up Oh, you know what? Actually, he wasn't the production manager. Oh, yeah. It was actually someone else. Okay. He was he was brought in at either a, I I hopefully I'm not getting this I'm getting this wrong, but he was like a stage manager and like the second production manager. Like he would fill in. Oh, okay. So for the first six months of me being there, I actually didn't meet the production manager. I just knew as Dan is like the guy. Oh, he was your point um, of contact, yeah. Yeah, 
And then I realized, like, oh, okay, there's a production manager, and this is what they do. A venue production manager will advance technical and other aspects of production with the touring artist production crew. They will distribute show information to appropriate production departments, catering staff, and vendors as needed. They will forecast production-related show expenses, and they will submit budgets as needed for special projects. They will also supervise all aspects of production from load-in to load-out, and ensure cleaning, maintenance, repair, and inventory is scheduled and completed on all production-related equipment. You know, I was just kind of like, I'm just staying to the stage, I'm learning this. Mm -hmm. How to pin this stage, how to do that. Um, but yeah, Dan was, and, um, he gave me like my first couple shifts and, um, and then, yeah, he was production manager during that time. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, I was always, uh, looking out at Dan to see how he was doing. Cause when I was, he was production managing the Roxy the same time I was production managing the Viper room, you know? Right. So I was definitely sort of keeping my eye out for people on the strip, you know, and kind of just filling out and seeing what everyone was doing. And we'd also just reach out to each other every now and then if like, you know, we ran out of cables or just anything that we needed, you know, I knew that I could always hit up Dan or even uh, someone at the whiskey, you know, just to help out. So that's always one of the cool things about being part of that Sunset Strip family on those few blocks there, you know? It it was definitely a family. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate my experience learning in a club and then also mm -hmm. on the Sunset Strip because of that. I, mm -hmm. It was definitely like, oh, you work in the Viper today? Oh, cool. I'll see you, you know, like during our breaks and yeah, stuff, yeah, exactly. like seeing people and like, oh, all, what you been up to? And We're all eating a dinner at Panini's or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Other, walking um, down the street. Totally, yeah. Or like... You know, once you start working, for me, once you start working, it's like, can you cover this shift? Are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Are you around? And stuff like yep. that. Like, I mean, it, it it's just, speaking of, like, going back to, like, timeline, it's like, especially in the audio world, there's so many different paths that you can take. Mm -hmm. You can learn at a PA company and, you know, make your way up there. Mm -hmm. or you just start going on tour from the beginning in, in a van or whatever, or you work at a venue and, um, or a studio, you work at a studio and you make your, you, you go up the ranks there. Um, mm -hmm. but I appreciated that. It, it was definitely a special time of like, we were all cool with each other and shows were happening and just being able to have like, comrades and colleagues mm -hmm. in other venues you know and and that that's how you build a, a great network yeah, i mean still like, to this day there uh i keep in touch with some of the guys and i get gigs from that you know mm -hmm. so yeah a lot of my closest friends in california like in la are from my time working on the strip you know right and just having those connections and building those relationships <clears throat> It was awesome, and, man. And we all, like, experienced the same things. Like, oh, did you have a rough night last mm -hmm. night? Like, oh, yeah, I was yeah. doing monitors for this person. Or, oh, yeah, the band didn't have this and that. And, you know, like, yeah. we all had the same kind of experiences that we could uh, bounce off each other. Yeah, that we could relate to. Yeah. And share, yeah. That's, and that's important to have. That's important to have. It is, man. Because sometimes you, you feel, you could, it's easy to feel alone, you know? Totally. Um, And, like... And especially if, like, I guess, like, when you're if you're mixing a show or something and it doesn't go as well, and there, and 
you're all hard on yourself and you're like, man, I should, you know, and you're like nitpicking what you were doing and not everyone else probably noticed, but of course you do. And, but then it's not until you kind of run into one of your buddies or something and you're like, and you guys start talking about it and then you're like, oh, and then you find, and then you relate to them and they could relate to you. And then, you know, then you feel like, oh, okay, I feel better now because yep. I know I'm not the only one who's gone through this or feeling yep. like this and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yeah it's just dope. another way to learn. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned um, about the different avenues that people could go or how they could learn because in the interview I just released yesterday with uh, my buddy Andrew, front of house engineer for uh, Fever 333, yeah, he came up through uh, a sound company. You know, we talked about that in the interview, the pros and cons, or I guess there's a lot more pros to it than you, know, sure. you think. Um, a lot more technical um, aspects to that but yeah i think everyone just has their own journey and and it's just kind of all up to us individually to i guess sort of put ourselves in those positions to learn those things and make the most out of opportunities and stuff like that you know yeah creating your own luck creating mm-hmm. your own luck that way yeah exactly yeah so once you started working uh full at the roxy um that's what it was all analog gear back then still right yeah, yeah. It was the Soundcraft series. The Soundcraft, yeah, that's right. I love that board. Right, and you were I, sticking mainly to monitors, or you were moving to front of house too. I I, I stuck in monitor world because it was kind of like we needed monitor guys, and mm-hmm. no one wanted to do it. Right. And then I would I would do front of house as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, and I enjoyed doing monitors. I, I gravitated towards that and like dealing with artists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the series five, man. That was a board. Classic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I just love that board. I I felt like I knew where to hit it, you know, like yeah. how hard to hit it and stuff like that. But Yeah, that's one of, definitely one of the benefits of working in a venue or a club where you have that <laughs> consistency of the same gear. You know, you find that you're, you're able to the take the spot. time to find the sweet spots and all that. Yeah, exactly. And the cons is you're, you're mm-hmm. stuck on that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely learned that once I started getting on tour, I was like, oh, okay. Different, you, you kind of got to approach things a little differently with different gear and stuff like that. But Exactly. But you still have the confidence to be able exactly. to go into that new venue wherever you're going yeah. and to pull off a show, you know, with, with yeah. general ease, you know, for the most part. But, but yeah, it's a great learning experience, a learning tool to... Uh, to have that consistency in a club or venue first and then to take that and apply that into like the touring or something like that, you know? Right. Right. I, I did enjoy learn, like now looking back also, I did enjoy learning on an analog board. I think there's mm-hmm. something special of that. You, you really understand signal flow. I feel, I've heard that before too, from people saying it, it's just, it feels like it's a little easier to comprehend with analog cause it's more step by step and it's not so, uh, deep in layers and you know and it's 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 just more laid out in front of you you know right as opposed to digital which like i said it could be you know shit could be buried under this layer under that layer you know right, and you have to right. hit this button hit, you know so but also get a little I, confusing i i think also there's something i think sometimes people forget about signal flow and and get like you're saying getting lost in layers mm-hmm. when you're troubleshooting something and it's like oh this wasn't plugged in you know like and people can get lost in that of you forget that the actual signal flow of stuff the -hmm. real signal flow of it not necessarily the software side of it but yeah and i felt like i learned 
like you know like on the series 5 like the insert points were always dirty and stuff like that you know you you can't learn that on a yeah. on a digital console yeah like, you learn maintenance and stuff like that right totally i i i learned all my like maintenance and teching stuff from that yeah mm-hmm. trying to fix that that board and cables and all that stuff mhm yeah that's that stuff's invaluable whether we realize it or not yeah. <laughs> or not at that point when we're all yep. like fuck <laughs> this thing's not working again what the hell why is it crackling you know yeah smash it it'll work smash yeah exactly <laughs> that's funny um so uh, as you were working there can you talk to me a little bit about how you transitioned into the studio and how that kind of came about um well i as i was interning like i said i i was always like i don't i'll, I'll do live just to experience it and my teacher's saying i should do it so i'm going to mm-hmm. listen to him but the whole time i wanted to do studio stuff so i like recorded like a couple bands from my school on cubase okay. and was just kind of learning myself learned from the grammy um mm-hmm. camp and um then the live stuff kind of started taking off and at the same time i had met uh this great producer Orin Yoel um, oh, yeah. and he i was like hey i'm learning to be an engineer any like anything you need anything i can help you with i'd love to do that and over time he was like all right fine sure come Come, come to the studio, and uh, that's when I really started. He taught me a lot about recording, yeah. about really getting fast on Pro Tools, and um, I just kind of learned from there. Just took it from there and started doing sessions. And uh, you, you get better by working with people and mm-hmm. uh, learning on my own, basically. Mm-hmm. And from mentors like Orin was a great men is a is a great mentor, and yeah. I had great mentors in uh, live sound as well uh, with Frankie. Oh, Frankie, Frankie. fingers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heck yeah, that's um, awesome. But I was doing I, basically I was doing the studio stuff as I was learning live stuff at the same time. So you're kind of doing them both. Yeah, co- they were coinciding with each other. Yeah. That's awesome because that's it's it's so helpful when you're in a situation like that because you're able to take things from one situation and then apply it into the other situation and kind of vice versa, you know. And sometimes things might not click on this in this uh, circumstance, but then you take that and you go over here and you're like, oh, and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I see how it's all connected now and I see what I was missing earlier, whatever, you know. Definitely. I mean, one one example I could think of is like a patch bay. I in in the live world in the Roxy. I know in the Viper room, you guys had a awesome patch bay, right? Oh yeah, you yep. guys, yeah, yep, we did, yep. But in in the Roxy, we had to every day when you needed to patch the inserts, it was go to the back of the board, climb behind the desk. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So I didn't really like learn patch uh, what a patch bay was, and then when I got in the studio, like everything's patch bay based. The whole room yeah. is tied to the patch bay. Mm-hmm. But um, I, because I knew signal flow, again going back to signal flow, because I understood signal flow, I, signal flow, I was able to pick that up in the studio as well. Like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. just the patch bay is just working horizontally, and mm-hmm. um, it totally crossed over in that sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, and um, 
when you were in the, well, first of all, I want to say that having a mentor is awesome, you know, and like, I mean, if anyone that's up and coming, you're looking to like some tips or this and that, try to find someone who's be willing to, you know, help you out in that sense and sort of take you under their wing a little bit. And uh, someone that you could kind of lean on for in those sort of situations because, yeah, it's having a mentor is, is, is priceless, you know, and I, I can't say that I necessarily had one specific mentor, you know, um, but I definitely, there was a lot of people that sort of were involved in my journey that have been super helpful and very important to the progress that I made over the time that I did, you know. I couldn't agree so. more, yeah. If you can, if you can get one, and it, it's it's very helpful. Are you looking for a mentor? Then you've come to the right place. Cause here at Mentors Are Us, we have mentors of every shape and size from all around the world, ready to help guide you and take you under their wing, giving you the tools and tricks to be the best you you can be. So pick up that phone and make the call to reserve your mentor today. 1-88-2-MENTOR. That's 1-88-2-MENTOR. Hidden fees may apply. Have you ever been one to someone? I don't think directly. I mean, mm-hmm. when when I was at the Roxy, I started really working there and like being one of the main guys. There were there were there were definitely a handful of interns, but I don't know if I was a mentor directly to them. Maybe they learned something from me, but but yeah. Um, one day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> that was great, though. I think mean, that's what I did like about the clubs too, because you know, obviously, kids would come in or. They would come in and be like, hey, can I intern? Like, sure, whatever, you know. And You were one of the only ones who were, uh, like, open to that, actually. Oh, was I? Oh. Yeah. yeah, which was great. I mean, you, you were always, like, you were down for someone who just didn't know anything. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. come on in. And I learned a lot from you as well. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think on my interview with Thomas, we were talking about uh, he would come to see me at Club Nokia, and they they wouldn't. They didn't like allow right, new, yeah, interns, and so someone told on us, and they eventually told me he couldn't come anymore. But, <laughs> but yeah, like I think it's important to have like an internship program, you know, and that's why. Um, like, uh, are you familiar with Sound Girls? Sound Girls, Sound Girls, Sound Girls dot org. Totally, yeah, yeah. Like I know that they encourage that's that as great. well. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I think it's it's crucial to um, the growth of engineers is to have that ability to intern or to put themselves in a position where they're going to be learning things that they might hands on. not otherwise exactly hands on exactly yeah. so um I that's mean, cool that's, man so you that's the best that? way you learn that's the best way you learn mm-hmm. is just the hands-on and part of that is having a mentor that's like hey i'm throwing you in the fire i mean that's what frankie did all the time he's like mm-hmm. He's like, all right, you're doing monitors today for so-and-so. And I'm like, uh, I, are you sure? You know, and that's yeah. how I learned. So Yeah. Did you ever do monitors for like any of the, like the Camp Freddy gigs or stuff oh, like that? Oh, man. Did <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, did I. Oh. Yeah, so, Camp Freddy was. Yeah, tell me what Camp no, Freddy yeah. is. <laughs> or I'll tell him, I'll tell him. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's, fine. Uh, it's basically in like an all-star band, right? 
and you have all of these like classic musicians um from like the 80s to 90s you know and they they come together i I think it's headed by like dave navarro from jane's addiction matt sorrow from guns and roses um mark mcgrath from sugar ray right yep Um, donovan leach who's donovan Donovan leach Uh uh-huh um steve stevens i know i mean there's slash has been there you know like i've i've it's basically like a rotating band of just celebrity musicians and stuff you know i saw i saw cypress hill performed with them one time you know and they would generally just do shows around the holidays right yeah it was always a christmas time thing like christmas time thing yeah yeah. but it was a big deal on the sunset strip and it was (laughs) it would pack and sell at the roxy and so for someone like you that has to do monitors for this group of individuals you know who are probably just all on wedges for the most part right yeah (laughs) yeah so and you know and uh, you know with a lot of these musicians you know they're further along in their career and they've 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 toured the world they've done stadiums and arenas and they've played the loudest rock shows so you know there's you definitely have to take into account some hearing loss on their end (laughs) so you know it's like it it could make a make your job a little more challenging in that sense you know when you're trying to crank these monitors to max volume yeah um, to make sure everyone's happy and then you know, you just get to a point where you're like, man, I don't know if I have much more, you know, before it just starts feeding back and <laughs> going yeah. crazy. So it, it was def I, I mean, I always remember like the whole year was based around getting ready for that show. Like once I started doing that, basically at the Roxy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a big deal, right? It was because like yeah. I know, I mean, it was definitely a big money maker, and like um, it was just you'd get like you're saying, like Ozzy Osbourne or mm-hmm. just all different types of singers um playing songs that like in a small club like you would never expect it playing with different musicians you'd never expect yeah and i just remember that the first year i learned a lot (laughs) i learned a lot and i think sometimes you learn the most when it's you do things wrong when you make mistakes exactly that's when you really learn the most about yourself and just like the actual job. And Good um, yeah, and uh, my first year, I, I so I got I got hired as a uh, once I got hired that first year I got hired. That was mm-hmm. like my first year of Camp Freddy. Frankie was like, "All right, you're doing monitors." Oh, and I'm shit. like, oh, "No." And stressing, huh? Oh, was <laughs> I? <laughs> Did you ever do them? Uh. I've done similar You've sort of bands. Them. I've been to Camp Freddy, yeah. but I, I've worked with Matt Sorum a bunch. Yeah. So <laughs> I've done a bunch of his like sort of Kings of Chaos. So that was like the next thing, you know, yeah. Gig. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same sort of scenario, just... On a bigger scale. Cause, and a lot of the same players, yeah. actually. Just different names. Just different names. Um, you know? Yeah, so I, I was thrown in and it was bad. It was bad. Like... <laughs> Matt Sorum, like he he <laughs> defined me. Like he he made me a new. He made me a man. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just like you know, and 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 understandably so on his end. He was just like this does not sound right. And you know, like Matt Matt Sorum's totally a, a nice guy, like off the kit, but like he's mm-hmm. a strong big dude. And can be intimidating, mm-hmm. and you need those experiences. Mm-hmm. You de- you you have to have those experiences in the beginning because 
that way you know like okay i can get through this or i can't and i shouldn't be doing this anymore and mm-hmm. um he just always ripped me a new one it was like always something <laughs> and totally understandably so like it doesn't sound right the, what's wrong with the kick where's the dr- <laughs> the sub i don't hear any sub you know it was always something and many times like frankie had to come back and help me and like um it was rough it was rough and yeah. the band was super awesome about it um and the guests were super awesome about it um but i got through it and uh yeah. he wasn't he wasn't awesome he wasn't necessarily happy about it but i just learned so much cuz i'm like oh I'm not using my ear, you know, I'm not listening. I'm not like, I I get my head in the game, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about dealing with people in that situation. Cause sometimes whether you're an artist or just even as a human, you know, you, you go down a tunnel and you're stuck there in your emotions. So I learned Mm -hmm. a lot about that and the psychology of it. And, um, Mm -hmm. it was a rough, first year but the second year it was awesome (laughs) second year it was like i really honed in and it didn't like you know there's always like i need more of this more less of this the guests Mm -hmm. were happy and at the end of the it it was always camp freddy was always a few days or i think at one point over like a something like either it was it was like a residency of like every friday for the month or there yep, was a point yep. where it was like three shows in a row sometimes. Um, okay. But at the end of the residency, um, I was like ra- wrapping up cables and I didn't really talk to Matt, you know, throughout Matt Sorum throughout the thing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, when I was cleaning up, I see him and I'm like, oh, God. And we like locked eyes. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and he comes over to me and he's like, hey. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, sounded pretty good tonight. Sounded pretty good. Thank you. And like, you know, that was it. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I think I could do this. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I got the seal of approval. <laughs> yeah. So I learned a lot from that experience. That was super crucial. That like very fast paced, very like. Okay, next oh, yeah. guest singer's coming up. It's so-and-so. Okay, next guest singer's coming mm-hmm. up. Uh, they have in-ears. Set them up. Okay, next singer's coming up. Right. Uh, they have a specific delay setting they want. Let's get it going, you know? It was mm-hmm. very, very fast-paced. But, um, yeah. you, learn how to, you had to learn how to adapt oh, on the fly, man. you know? Yeah. And uh, just make it yeah. happen. <laughs> That's yeah. funny, man. But it was good. It was good. I... I Hell yeah, that's awesome, man. And I can't I'm laughing so hard, man, because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I have very I have a lot of experience with Matt as well. <laughs> and it was basically it's it was so, sort of similar to your experience, you know. Um but he was he had a group with his wife. They were called the Darling Stilettos. Yep, I remember them. Yep, and um I they had just started off and they were playing shows at the Dragonfly down in Santa Monica, and um, Dale Dale Gloria she she's like hey, you should go and do their lights for them because they need someone <laughs> to do their lights. I was like all right, and this is just one of those things about just sort of making yourself available for yep. whatever you know. I was like sure. Yeah. So then they did like a couple shows there like after like two weeks, and then they started doing other shows. And then Matt's like hey, I want you to do sound. I was like, okay, cool. So we we did a residency down at um, 
I think it's called the Playhouse now. It's down on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. It was like a nightclub, but we were doing, we had a residency there. We were doing shows and we were doing other venues around town. And, um, and Matt and I, we, we were, but we butted heads a little bit here and there because, you know, he's very specific, you know, and he has yeah. so much experience. He knows what he wants. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and he's played, yeah. like I said, he's toured the world, played stadiums, he was Guns N' Roses, you know. So then there's like people like you and I who are still just sort of coming up and finding our way, you know, and he's working with us and he's like, he's like pulling his <laughs> hair out. He's like, ah, some of these young cats. No, but, um, so eventually, uh, we had a gig in Las Vegas with the Darling Stilettos and we were playing, uh, cause it was one of those things Slash was doing his whole thing too. We were Slash and friends, you know? Right. And right. Uh, Matt was playing with them. And then we were playing at the, one of the clubs at the, I forgot what casino we were at, but it was like the nightclub there. We were playing like two in the morning with the Darling Stilettos. <laughs> so we first sound checked and stuff. And I was mixing front of house from side stage, doing monitors in front of house from the same desk from side stage, you perfect. know, and <laughs> in a club and then like a nightclub, a dance club. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, and I had never experienced this, you know, and I, I, I wasn't f- too familiar with like how to, you know, work with a crossover. Cause I remember the rig that I had, the crossover was in there and like, and it wasn't bumping and they, Matt was kept saying, he's like, you have to make it loud, man. It has to be loud so it can match the DJ when you know, we come on. So it's the, the energy's not going to drop. The energy has to stay yeah. high because you're right. in a nightclub, you know? I was like, okay, yeah. And <clears throat> so we get through soundcheck. It was, it was rough, you know? But eventually um, the showtime comes and, and it was one of those things where we didn't actually go on to like four in the morning because <laughs> there was all this stuff and and I wasn't being assertive enough in like, taking control of like okay who's in charge here why aren't we on yet you know right, this is late right. why are we running late no 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 we have to go on you know this you know blah blah you know I, I needed to be that person i didn't know that at the time you know and that's what matt was expecting from me as the person i was in my position so right. eventually the show comes on and it's not going well a slash is front of house guy matt talked to slash is front of house guy he's like hey man can you come down and watch matt for the show and the show starts and it's you know it it's not going well. I'm like sweating bullets, like, oh, you know, <laughs> and you know, and the club's packed and people are kind of like, what's going on? Why did, why did the dance music stop? You know? And, uh, so eventually the front of house guy, I don't even know who he is now, but he basically like scooted me over. He's like, I got this dude. And he just basically just <laughs> at that point, just turned everything up, you know, bam, yeah. bam, 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 just like plus 10. Yeah. Plus 10. Everything's red in the red. I was like, oh, you know, and we got to the show. So eventually, you know, the show ends and, um, I'm not sure if you know who Swiss Chris is. It's his drum tech. Oh yeah. Oh, Swiss. So you know how intense Chris is as well. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot from him. Chris as well, is amazing. I love Chris so much, dude, because he pushed me so hard. Oh yeah. And he questioned everything I did. Everything. Everything. And you need that. Exactly. Everything. You need that. I remember. Yep. And sorry to don't forget. Don't, okay, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. forget your story. But yeah. he in in the Camp Freddy days, mm-hmm. he always would be a stickler with like. He would look at the overhead mics and he'd be, he'd be like, one one has the pad on, one doesn't. One has the high yep. pass on, one, one doesn't. doesn't. Yep. W- what's going on here? You know, like yeah. just little things like that that a drum tech never would. But like it forced you to be like, Shh, I got to be on my shit. Yeah, yeah. I have to be on my shit so that no this other guy doesn't find out, exactly. like find my mistakes. Or <laughs> exactly. yeah. So you need that as well. Uh-huh. You need that in your experiences. So anyways, yeah, he's, Chris. he's so detail oriented and so particular. And it's because, you have to it's be. because who he works with, you know, and that's why he works yeah. with such a level um, musicians. Right. Because he has those traits and, and those attributes that, you know, that you need when, when dealing with an A level artist, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, so 
so the, and we get to the show and afterwards chris and i we we pack up and you know we're done it's like late we end up just going out to the casino to the bar and hanging out and talking and i'm all feeling super insecure and and down and everything so eventually the morning comes and matt hits me up he's like hey man come to my room i need to talk to you i was like oh shit okay so I go, and he's like in a suite. The talk. You know? Yeah, yeah, the talk. So I go yeah. to his, like, wherever the, the penthouse suite is at, he was at. And, you know, I knock on the door. And he comes, it's like one of the double doors, too. He like opens the door, he oh, comes yeah. out, and he shuts the door behind him. So we're in the hallway. He's in his bathrobe and his slippers and shit. <laughs> and he's like, well, man, that was kind of rough. I was like, I know, man, I'm really sorry, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know what, let me tell you, man. You're a good guy, man, but... You, you have to be more assertive, man. You can't be so nice, dude. You, you know, he's like, you got it. You got it. Sometimes when it calls, you have to be, you have to be that asshole. You have to be that person to like take control and to demand, you know, this and demand that, you know, and I'm just not seeing that in you right now, man. And I just don't think this is going to work out anymore. I was like, fuck man. So he basically like, let me go right there, you know? Right. Right. And I understood, you know, I, I was expecting that, you know, and, um, it was hard, man. It really, really hit me hard and but it like you said it was one of those things where it just forced me to re- to to try harder to get better at my job and to never want to have to feel like that again never want to have to be in that situation again where you know I'm I feel like shitty you know <laughs> you're like damn yep. you just want to quit yep. um so that for for as, as difficult it was in that moment you know months go by I was able to really and learn from that and to implement those lessons into, you know, how I was going about my job at that point moving forward, you know? And, uh, just randomly, like it was probably like six or seven months later, I was just working at the Viper room and in between bands, I was came out onto the sidewalk, onto the strip and Matt happened to just be walking by, dude. And I was like, Oh, what's up, man? We come in and it was like, Oh, we were happy to see each other. Yep. And he was like, Oh man, you know, I can't help but think about our last meeting, man. I just want to say I'm sorry. You know, I, I felt like I came, I was really hard on you. And I came down hard on you. And I was like, man, don't even apologize. Like, <laughs> I'm grateful, you know, and it, I needed that. Like, I I attribute that conversation to so much of my success now because I if if, if you didn't do that, I would have just con- probably continued to make the same mistakes and, you know, and went and not bettered myself and not challenged myself. And then, you know, right after that, man, he hit me up again. He's like, hey, man, um, I got a new project with the girls. Yeah. Um, I go. want you to mix for us, dude. I was like, word? There okay. So then, boom, <laughs> we reconnected. I started working on his new project. It was called Diamond Baby. And I remember them. Yeah. Yep. And I just started mixing all his shows. And our relationship was just so much tighter. And we had so much of uh, a different level of respect for each other. And he he never yelled at me one time after that, dude. Yeah, I saw him. I saw him get on either Chris or the musicians in his band. You know, after that, but every every time we communicated, it was very civil and just very respectful. And and uh, yeah, so you know, I I have mad love and respect for Matt, and I I'm so grateful for that experience. And I'm glad I'm happy that I was able to share that with you because I don't think I've told many people that story. I, I love I love that story. I mean, I have the same same thing of like he yeah. got on me yeah, yeah, and right. that pushed me to you know yep. and you you man you need that in this in in music you know you mm-hmm. need that to like 
to survive and just be like, okay, if you're going to work at your top, top level, you need someone to tell you like you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And you, it's up to you to either say, I'm doing something wrong. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing something else or I'm doing something wrong. How do I fix it? Mm -hmm. How do I get better? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's just it, you shouldn't be intimidated by th those situations because, like, everyone goes through it. Yep. Everyone goes through it. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes through it. That's a great story. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, it's important um, uh, because I think there's a fine line there, though, in terms of both of us had those experiences earlier on in our career, but dealing with those sort of people and situation circumstances now at this point in our career eight ten twelve years later it would be a lot different you know we have oh, to sure. we have to understand that there is a line that artists shouldn't be crossing when it comes to the way that they communicate with you and the way that they treat you you know sure and um and i think that's important to note um and i think that's becoming more more uh what is the word uh Relevant or relevant? I was rele just yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in these days, and like, out in the open, yeah, it's more like, open, yeah, and like yeah. it's it's less accepting, and people are, are more. It's looked down upon if you do that. It is because it's totally. not right. It's it's just wrong, man. And we have to all respect each other because obviously we're all here for the the one purpose, you know, to create yeah. an experience for the audience and for them, you know, and all that, but. You know, but I think there is there is that line that can be defined because, for example, in the story that you're saying, and mm -hmm. even in mine, like, there was an after the fact, right? So, mm -hmm. like, okay, during the moment, there was, like, the anger and emotions running high and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, he sat you down and said what he – he specifically told you what the problem is, why this isn't working out, mm -hmm. is because of that, that assertiveness. And that that, I think, is – is okay because then it's like okay you actually told me what's wrong what i'm doing wrong now it's up to me to be to to, to get fix, better yeah, you know exactly. but then there is that line of like okay n there's a point where like we know what we're doing and now you're just now it's a abuse and harassment yeah, that's you're a, just yelling a at me you just cross the line <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. different now it's uh, us uh, you know like that's where we drop the mic and leave you yeah. know that's where it's it's up to us to say something and but I, I, I agree. It's definitely more out in the open of, like, that's not right anymore. Mm -hmm. That's not right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. We, we just have to know when to uh, st stand up for ourselves and to, you know. Yep. To say. Would you learn from being assertive and, and mm -hmm. going through some of those things, for yeah. sure. Yeah, because in the end, no matter what they're paying you or what kind of benefits or anything they're trying to, you know, to give you, it's 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 not worth it if it's affecting your your personal your livelihood. happiness, your livelihood, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's it's that's important to remember and uh, encourage anyone who's in a situation or who who has been in a situation like that to to really stand up for yourself and just understand that you deserve better and you deserve to be treated with respect and uh, and uh, and yeah, it is like you're saying though it is a, a line though where emotions do get involved and we understand that. Because obviously, the music is important to the artist, you know, and we want to do our best to respect that. But like, sometimes it's just they just cross the line, and that's when it's like, no, 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 my friend. 
Yeah, so. for sure. And I'm I'm sure you've experienced that. I've experienced that. And, oh yeah. And there's also there's a point of like if you're not getting the support from people around you in that camp or whatever, then it's like bye bye. I gotta mm-hmm. go. I'm mm-hmm. I'm done. You know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely like I'm even thinking of like now when you see YouTube videos of like artists having like something go wrong. Mm-hmm. I think also artists are really like before you'd see like. And, and I'm sure it still happens, but like mic stands being thrown, mics oh, yeah. being thrown, this happening. But I think more and more you see like prof- people dealing with it professionally mm-hmm. and like singers dealing with it professionally and like knowing like it's not okay. It's mm-hmm. not okay. But there's obviously still the crazies out there for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Don't you know I'm local? Let me yeah. ask you, um, did any of those sort of experiences ever uh, cross over into the studio, like as as engineer, and then feeling sort of that same pressure? Oh and... yeah, 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 the, yeah, definitely. I there was one that I can't. It was a songwriter. I I I, I can't remember the name, anyways. But um, they, it was it was kind of the same thing with Matt Sorum style of like okay it was like my first year of really like i can run a writing i can record and run a writing session like on my own Mm -hmm. and basically i was given this gig of okay you're gonna you're gonna record this songwriter at at the studio that you knew so like i knew all the gear and i knew everything was fine except for one thing there was this one caveat is that the headphones were mono so <laughs> it just like it, I don't know it was just the way it was set up and like um so the songwriter came in for a session it was like a, a couple hours and just like one thing after another just like the same thing it's like this doesn't sound right this was and and rightfully so I was I probably wasn't making it sound right or okay. wasn't doing certain things right I was probably slow mm-hmm. um I wasn't on it maybe my vibe was a little off um and there, it was different things. Like, they'd want the vocal pan to the left in their ears. Well, it's mono. So, like, now I'm tearing up the cables to, to get a stereo, you know, stuff <laughs> yep. like that. I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. Um, so, it ended. It didn't end well. And it was a two-day session. And um, the second day, I either they canceled or i think i was like i I can't i like gave in i gave up i was like i can't i can't do this Mm -hmm. and afterwards i just kind of like sat down and was just like i got to hone in i gotta be better you know so it it definitely seeps in the studio and i know some people always say like oh the studio's so nice you're in an air-conditioned room Mm -hmm. and you can take your time you could spend a day getting drum sounds but I've rarely been in, unless it's maybe like a very relaxed writing session, I've rarely been in a situation in the studio where it's not fast paced, Mm -hmm. especially as an engineer, because things are expected to work and they're expected to work right then and there. Mm -hmm. Um, Time is money, you know, as well. Especially now, yeah. Yeah. So um, I felt that same fast pace as a live concert in a studio as well um and there was definitely after that time i was like okay i gotta really push myself and 
bring the same mentality I have in the live world and bring it into the studio of like things just have to happen. Things have mm-hmm. to happen. They have to be right and ready. And how did you become so proficient, you know, in the studio? Um, if you weren't there, was it just at home practicing on your own, doing stuff like that? How I just that? didn't. I did. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I didn't do 10,000 hours, but I did yeah. the hours, you know, it's just like, I at that time I was interning or well, I started interning as well for Oren and um I wouldn't record I would just be the get the food right and okay, gotcha. yep. uh do this do that uh, you know mm-hmm. stuff like that um but I would just see the systems of how he was recording and he would go into a lot of other studios and I would see other engineers like really pro engineers how they were recording how they were doing it and then over time, it was like, okay, I need you to edit this. And it was just bit by bit, bit by bit. And then it was like, all right, you take this, do this at home. Tomorrow mm-hmm. I want this ready kind of thing. And over time, it was just like, all right, you're going to record today. And you just do the hours. You stay extra time there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, do the hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about that. It's all about it logging it. Like you said, 10,000 hours. That's yeah. What, uh, you, you get the confidence. Yeah, yeah. You get the confidence. Yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to is it. it there are people in this world that are more t- inherently talented at things, you know, and are have these natural talents and skills. But unless you actually put in the work and the, right. the consistency – those skills or talents aren't going to be utilized to their fullest capacity unless yep. you know you put in the work, and and you, you don't have to be one of those special people. You could be uh, a normal Joe, but you if you have that drive and that focus and that determination and that willingness to put in that work, then you know you're going to achieve just as much success as anyone else. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think that's key to remember. Yeah, yeah, in anything. Hell yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so since we're on the studio subject, I just want to let everyone know that you are in the presence of a Grammy-nominated engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. I saw that. I was like, damn, Duran, I didn't know you were playing it like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, just want to brag about you a little bit, man. I appreciate My boy it. here, you know, he engineered all of Miley Cyrus's Younger Now album. He engineered all of Ziggy Marley's Rebellion Rises album, which is the one that was Grammy nominated. Yeah. And then you also, and then Miley Cyrus's um, song Malibu, it went multi-platinum number one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you... Uh, See here, else I got a few more here. Uh, you worked <laughs> with uh, Fitz and the good. Tantrums. <laughs> you engineer for Fitz and the Tantrums. Some engineer for Banks. More Miley Cyrus. Some Tori Kelly. <laughs> some Lily Allen. Um, the Dirty Heads. And yeah, a bunch of Ziggy Marley and Miley. Those are your two uh, your two big ones in the studio, man. <laughs> um, so when you're when you're doing all these all these uh, gigs with engineering and stuff. And you're, are you working specifically with Oren? Um, in the studio, mainly. Okay. Mainly, yeah. Um, some stuff that's separate from that, mm-hmm. but a lot like Miley Cyrus, he produced um, that whole album, mm-hmm. and he did uh, Malibu, um, so I, I got to engineer that. Nice. And I'm very interested in this, because when it comes someone like in your position as an engineer, let's say, hey, 
you're going to be engineering this record. What are some of the things that you end up, are, or what are some of the things that you're responsible for in terms of like, um, do you get any say on mic choices or any gear, outboard gear, stuff like that? Is it your responsibility to have like certain chains already like ready to go? Like I know, I know my boss wants, my producer wants, he like, he prefers this, this compressor and this, uh, you know, uh, gate or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, you know, can you talk to me great a little about question. that? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think that for me personally, I think in the beginning it was always like either I saw someone else use it and said, what if we use that? Or it was, uh, it was the producer's preference. Mm -hmm. It was, I like this, this works. And, um, it, it even the same thing in live and in a lot of things, sometimes like your mentors or people you work with, they use a certain thing. You work for a PA company. Maybe they just have Digicos mm -hmm. or they just have Midas analog consoles and mm -hmm. that the head of that company just loves that. So you're forced to use that, which I think is a good and bad thing. But, um, it's the same thing in the studio. I think in the beginning it was very much so from the producer I like to use this or I want to use this. Mm -hmm. And oh, okay, cool. Great. You, you, that's fine. I, 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 let's do what works. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then over time, um, I developed and in general, you develop your tastes, your preferences, you know, what works well, you know, how to hit certain things, where things should be metering, um, that sound good. Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely in the beginning it was, okay, we're using this and we're using that. And then over time now I'm confident and I have the experience to be like, let's try this instead. Mm -hmm. And I have that trust. It's with the I, artist I, that, or, that's, the, or the producer. Exactly. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. With both. It's like, mm -hmm. um, you, you you get that leverage of having confidence and experience, you know, versus like, I, I think we should try this one mic, you know, it's like, let's try this. This is going to work mm -hmm. great. You know, you, 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 you have that, um, assertiveness. Yeah. You speak with that confidence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 That's dope. Um, what, well, kind of a two part question. What is your favorite studio to work at? And then as well, does that include your favorite console to work on? <laughs> um, I think for me, a console in in uh, in, in the in studio, the studio yeah, world, in the studio. Oh, yeah, in the studio. I think I think over time I've let go because so many studios don't have consoles, and I mean a lot of them still do. Or if a lot of them have a console, mm -hmm. it's not used. But I think I'm going to answer the second part first. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, well, one, music has changed, right? So it's a lot of places you're not, it's a laptop and a vocal mic. Oh, so sure. you don't even need the console. The console's there for show. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times uh, places might have an SSL or something, but let's say they have like, oh, we also have eight Neve preamps. It's like, well, I want to use those Neve preamps. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've over time let go of being in the live world, in the studio world, um, a custom or have a preference to a certain console. Um, I like certain P 
pieces of gear. I think I'd rather mix, uh, mix and match things. You know, okay. like you have an SSL, you can use the compressor and EQs on there, but why not use a Neve EQ mm-hmm. or a TubeTech um, compressor or a TG1 limiter, you know, just mix and match yeah. and you get all these colorful sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because as you and, start to yeah. use these pieces of gear, you start to understand how they sound how they're going to affect the, the, the input or the instrument or whatever it is, you know? So right. you're kind of already like, like premeditating an idea of like, Oh, okay. Yep. I know what, I know what, I know what I'm going for and I know how to achieve it by using this, this, and this. And on the other end, um, sometimes you get to a studio and they don't have your preferred tube tech, your gotcha, yeah. compressor that you love. So you have to adjust. Yeah. You have to adjust. Or you rent it. But the budget's there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's the same thing. And it forces you to try try new things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then your first part of the question, favorite studio. Um, I love, I mean, the ones that are left, I love... Um, this place called United Recording, which is on Sunset, mm-hmm. and it used to be Ocean Way. Ocean Way, yep, yep. Um, I just love the staff there, and yeah, that's the gear is cool. Um, the rooms are great. Um, there's two main rooms, and if you uh, one recent album, or maybe it's not so recent, is the Alabama Shakes. Um, oh yeah album uh, with the song fight no more um that one that one was recorded in united um which was really cool but uh yeah just so so much history there so much history there and the gear is just awesome oh yeah is that where michael jackson recorded in ocean way he i he might have but his he had a room in westlake Westlake, for sure and in westlake he had a room and he put speakers on the um on the ceiling or on the ceiling so that he could lay down uh, and listen to uh listen to his mixes or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, when you when And you... I love there's another studio called East West also on right next door actually. Oh, it's really? right next door to the United. Okay. Um and you go in it's just like such an awesome vibe. So cool in there. The yeah, vibe is I think that's more important than the gear. Exactly. The I was just going to say that. Yeah, it's about cuz I that's why I kind of broke it up because I was like oh, I could love this console or this um this studio right. because it has a cool vibe, but then this studio actually has this console that I like, you know. But so it's like I think it's always about the vibe, the vibe. because okay. you can dim the lights as much as you want and maybe it's just not right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um I always like I always have this conversation with Oren, uh, the producer I work for. Mm-hmm. Like, I I love gear. I'm a, I'm a gearhead. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, like, I don't, I, I don't pledge allegiance to certain gear. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I mean, there's certain things I think always work, sure. But I think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think what, what what's more important is the vibe, is... Is this gear bringing out the right vibe? Not like, is this Neve preamp or API preamp the right thing because it's API and mm-hmm. drums sound good on API, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it goes with the environment and the actual gear. It's just, it's all about vibe and even live. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you experience that as well. It's like, oh, yeah. 
there's certain things like I do with certain artists that gives them a sense of vibe and things are done the same way or a certain way and it's like they're comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. I'm happy you mentioned that because, I mean, not only is it about the vibe of the place, but more specifically, it's your vibe, you know, like as the engineer and sure, like, and sure. I feel like that's probably where, you know, you've gained a lot of your success is just that you understand that element to the whole, to the bigger picture of it, you know, and you understand how you fit into that and that right. if, if you aren't paying attention to that, that it could actually, you know, bite you in the ass and, you know, maybe even get you fired off the gig or something because yeah. you don't understand yeah, yeah. sort of your your placement in the in that picture you know so yeah yeah and and it's just there's i i even going back to the gear thing it's like i just i think there is a formula for stuff and there isn't and it's the same with the vibe it's like sometimes people want want a a fluorescent lit room just bright white and that's how they create Mm -hmm. and then some people want on stage darkness you Mm -hmm. know so um you have to adapt it's all relative to to the artist's needs or desires yeah yeah it's funny you mentioned the whole white thing because are you familiar with rick rubin's studio shangri-la studios i know it yeah and that i've never been or i don't i don't know about the white light there (laughs) well no basically i guess every is the whole studio is just white walls it's just all crazy there's no artwork or anything so it's just various very sterile Wow, and it just so I guess the whole point is to you don't want any distractions, you don't want any influence. You want you create your own exactly, yeah. like you're creating that, you're you're influencing yeah. yourself. And I mean, I, and look at Rick Rubin; he's Rick Rubin, amazing dude. <laughs> I love that guy. He's very one of my favorite producers for sure. Oh yeah, have you? Uh, do you listen to a lot of podcasts in general? Yeah, for sure. Have you I'm checked out podcast his podcast, um, Broken Record? Broken. Oh, it's so good. I love that podcast. Have man. you heard the? Um, the uh run the jewels one. Oh yeah i listen to both of them they, they, they do two you, episodes yeah, yeah 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 my um one of my all-time favorite like whenever someone's like okay i want to get into engineering or i want to get into music or i want to like learn more about music or anything like that the two for sure and maybe three the two for sure things i always tell them is read um david burns uh book how um oh man it's blanking on uh, how <laughs> how music either. works how music works yeah such a good uh like explanation of how music works it's a it's a bio a semi-biographical book mm-hmm. about his time in the talking heads mm-hmm. and um also just like the creation of music and how it's adapted and changed over time and how venues have affected um uh different genres being created and how different technology has created different genres all that stuff the second thing i always say is check out andre 3000's podcast with um rick rubin on broken record that interview is amazing it's so good because andre 3000 is just like this genius just mm-hmm. like an absolute genius and you really hear like the mind of this guy who's like in between like he's like talking about what 
t- talking about vibe, like what mm-hmm. helped him create those songs, what inspired him, and how he's not inspired, and how he's trying to get inspired, you mm-hmm. know? And even if you're not an artist making music, even as an engineer, it's just like to inspire yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. But that, um, that, that interview was so good. Man, I'm so happy you just brought that up because that is also, honestly, that is the uh, the episode that I originally came across that got me into that podcast. Because oh, nice! It was only it That's only it was great. only like maybe like a few months ago where I started listening to it, and I was like, man, I can't believe I had not known about this podcast yeah, until just recently. It's so yeah. Um, but that specific episode, man, um, I was listening to it one morning. It was actually right before I because I, I was in Mexico for uh, a few months back in June and July. Uh-huh. And it was like the day before I was coming back home. Um, and I, I was listening to that episode and I listened to half of it. And I think the next day I left to come back. So I'm at the airport and I get in, I got on the plane, I'm sitting in my seat and I'm, I'm waiting there because people are, are um, loading on. And I look up and there is this, um, there's this younger, younger dude and he has his backpack on. He takes his backpack off. He opens it up, unzips it, pulls out a book, zips his backpack up, puts his book back on, back on his back. And then he has his book in his hand. I look at it and it's a book called Outliers oh, by yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, yep. And in that specific interview, Andre 3000 oh, yeah. talked about how yep. he was about to come on that podcast and he was... So he wanted to prepare himself a little bit. So he he uh, knew that it was Rick and Malcolm's podcast. So he he researched Malcolm and he he actually had the Outliers book. So he said he read it to prepare for the interview. And he's right. talking about it for a second. And so listening to that, you know, the day before, and then getting on the plane, finishing the podcast, that same podcast <laughs> episode, and then seeing some dude pull out that book, and I had never so heard of that book. Of the world, yeah, yeah, before you know, or, or even seen it, and I was like, "What?" It just kind of blew my mind. So I got home and I ordered it offline real quick, and I've, I'm in the midst of reading it right now. That's great, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's where he talks about the ten thousand hours you were talking about earlier. Yep. He brings yeah. it up in that book. Yeah, and I was like, "Dang, crazy how yeah, that it's works a out. it's a good book, and um, it's just crazy how the world works." Yeah, it's crazy right? how the world works. It was like meant, to, you know. Again, it's like it's like maybe it was just meant to be. Yours, like maybe if you saw that book uh, a year before, you'd be yeah. like whatever. But like, yeah, yeah it just the planets aligned. Yeah, yeah it's like just a, looking it's out for signs podcast. like that. You know, yeah. There's podcast. another one you should you should check out. Um, I, it's probably from a few years ago, but Rick Rubin did an interview on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Do you know okay. Tim Ferriss? Yep. So. Uh, that one got me into like listening to podcasts and Rick Rubin, uh, just like some of the insight he shares, like just really, really fascinating stuff. I suggest everyone listen to that one if you're if you're into music and he just says a lot of good life. It's stuff. about life stuff, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's this one part where he talks about like he was he felt like he was living a a bad lifestyle of like he'd sleep all day. And just be awake all night, mm-hmm. just all night. He was a night bird, and he was just like, and, and that was part. I mean, it's part of music, anyways, right? Sometimes we just function at night. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about how he got help from a doctor that, like, he wanted to fix that um, that bad habit, and uh, 
he would um every day he would wake up let's say let's say he he would always wake up at 3 p.m. or something so the next day he woke up at 2 p.m. and right when he woke up he'd go right outside just like whatever he was wearing just go right outside get some sunlight and then the next day 1:45 then 1:30 you know and he'd push it back all the way to like 9 a.m. you know mm-hmm. but um it was just really cool insight of like habits and changing your habits and like yeah. being better as a person but yeah Everyone yeah, should check that, that podcast out. I definitely will. <laughs> yeah, because it comes down to it, like, our bodies, ourselves, our beings are the one thing that we really have control over the most, you know? Right. And and we have the ability to to change, to grow, to recondition our old conditions and stuff like that, you know? To create better habits for ourselves, to create, you know, a more healthier, you know, joyful lifestyle. And... um and then that just especially for us that we have to travel so much and yeah man like let's talk a little bit about that you know like because i'm sure that uh, yeah right because uh you know dealing with the travel and even like even studio being in studio for hours like 10 12 14 hours you know however long it is like how how does that affect your um your men- your mental and emotional health and and what have been some ways that you've been able to sort of help combat that and sort of help help you out through that uh it's hard lord it's so hard living this life a constant struggle each and every day it's really hard i don't know if i have an answer for that because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> hey, that's okay you, just, you know yeah you just get so locked in like mm-hmm. okay you're on tour you're you're just so locked into that routine and as soon as you get a day off or you get a hotel room, you're just like, I want to sleep or something. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the studio is you're locked in 12 plus hour days in a room. You don't see sunlight. There's mm-hmm. no windows. And you're stuck with the same people. And same thing. You know, you just, you, you can't do, and you feel like you can't do anything else. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. It's something I'm learning every day. And now kind of as we're taking a pause from touring and doing doing shows um it's definitely made me reflect of like there's there's a lot of things now i feel like i do that like you know meditation and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. you want to keep that going you Mm -hmm. want to if you start having the 16 hour studio days or you go back to touring um i'm still learning and figuring out how do i keep that um, and maintain that for my my psychology, you know. And uh, it's hard. It's hard. I think the the it's always it's just like with creating and breaking habits. You have mm-hmm. to do baby steps, and you have to create like triggers for yourself. Of like, when I do this, I'm gonna do that, and that helps you create that muscle memory. So yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do when we go back to touring, but. Um, yeah. By then, hopefully, it's it, I, I have some sort of idea of how. But I, I know for sure. And um, when I when we were touring, I think the big thing I always did to kind of help me keep like mentally sane mm-hmm. was I took advantage of my days off always. Like if Key. we're if we're in the middle of nowhere like what can we do that we couldn't do anywhere else like and just send a mass text to everyone hey 
I set this up or we're doing this. Let's go. Who's coming? Who's coming, man? Who's coming with me? Oh, cool. And just yeah. always, always trying to do that because then you get even more experiences and it, it breaks you out of I'm doing a show every day. I'm doing a show yeah. every day the or I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. Tour, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's important that you say that, man. And um, do you did you find that you were dealing or even still like before, I guess, before the pandemic hit, like were there any like were you battling any bouts of depression at any points, any levels of that? Anything like that, that sort of like you notice as you got further along in your career that certain things were just sort of heavier on you, you know, and it was just like, man, I'm tired. I think always there's always doubt. There's always doubt of how much longer can I do this or okay. how much longer can I stay like uh, happy or I'm not good at this. I can't do this. There's always mm -hmm. that. But um, you always have to go back to, oh, I did do this though. I actually got through the show and yeah, nothing yeah. happened. Okay, I had that one show that didn't go well or this recording session, but then I had five others that went awesome. That went and good, yeah. You can't get them all. You just can't get them all. You can't be perfect. You can't um, be a hundred, get a hundred for a hundred. It's just, yeah. it's it's not possible. At the end of the day, you're human. So I always try and go back to that. I always try and think like, it's okay. I there's going to be another one. I can't get them yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that's one of the beauties I love about touring as well is that, like I said, you could have one bad show one night and then you just got to remember, like, oh, I get to do it again tomorrow. So <laughs> let's go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that I, usually I, helps flip the switch for me. Like, okay, okay. Yeah, and, um, and then you get a, a streak of great shows or a streak yeah. of great like this is I know what I'm doing. You have that confidence again. Mm -hmm. and and you always have to go back like i'm still here doing it so that means something that yeah. that's got to mean something that i can still i know so many guys that like i i stopped hearing about like they probably don't do music anymore they're probably not engineers anymore but mm -hmm. i'm still doing it so um yeah, you just got to go back you know? to that yeah, yeah it says something for sure yeah because you got to remember your victories you know you can't you can't let all the failures like dictate define how it. you feel yeah define yeah. It, exactly you know, you got to remember those 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 victories and and allow those to help lift you up and to carry you through those difficult times, through those times of doubt and insecurity. You know, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, even like I'm thinking with a, a, an artist that I've worked with for many years with Ziggy Marley. He, I've had ups and downs with him, but I'm still mm -hmm. he's still has me working i mean even during this we're doing streams we're doing all these other things we're recording an album all that stuff yeah and there's always been ups and downs throughout the years but you just go back to i i know what i'm doing i'm still here i can do this yeah that's i'm happy you mentioned ziggy because um you've obviously he's been the artist that you've worked with the longest in the studio and in the live um how did how did that relationship begin so I, going back to the Roxy days, I, yeah. one day, um, he had a show mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know why, but in my head I was like, I, at that point I was like, okay, I want to tour. I'm ready to tour. 
I've done local gigs. I've done some one-offs, but I want to do like a tour tour. And I don't know why in my head I was like, I want to get that tour. I and I, I wasn't even a fan of like reggae music <laughs> reggae, yeah, or yeah. I I just got in my head like I'm doing this. Yeah. And um, he at the time was going through some um, personnel changes. The monitor guy became the front house guy. They were looking for someone to do monitors, and they they were trying someone out at the Roxy, and he was mm -hmm. doing a show, and um, it just wasn't really working out and i didn't take over anything i was just kind of guiding and helping um mm -hmm. the person doing monitors and ziggy kind of caught wind and um the front of house at the time fabian he also like understood what was going on um mm -hmm. and the house engineer at the roxy uh donovan hey he <laughs> he was good friends with um, the front house guy. And so, like, it was just kind of all these planets aligning and every er, everything went well once I kind of, like, steered things in a good way. Mm -hmm. And um, after the show, Fabian came up to me. He was like, hey, we like what you do. You're a hard worker. Um, Ziggy wants to see you upstairs. And so I go, uh, the Roxy, the dressing room at the Roxy is upstairs. So it's like a long, like, staircase Hallway. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like the Godfather moment. Like, he's, like, sitting down, shaking, like, shaking hands with people <laughs> at the end, you know. And he's, yeah, like, yeah. in this, like, big chair or whatever. And he was, like, uh, I was, like, hey, Ziggy, you know, th th thanks for, I, I didn't even know actually what I said. I probably yeah. was just, like, super nervous. And he was, like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you're good. You're good. Um, let's take your information. We'll talk. And like, that was it. I get a call like a few days later, like, Hey, so we're doing this, um, reggae festival this weekend. Uh, we need you there. So I was like, uh, okay. And just, <laughs> it was like, that went well. And then I was like, all right, so we're doing a Canadian and North American tour. We need you for that. You know? And it just kind of built from there. And, yeah. um, and actually, that first tour was also kind of scary because I, I was like, oh, okay, I know Fabian now. We're, we're have, developing a good rapport. He did monitors, so I could always kind of lean on him. And mm -hmm. everyone was on wedges. It was It's okay, a 10-piece yeah. band. 10-piece band, okay. And uh, Ziggy's wedges needed to be loud. Mm -hmm. And it was a loud stage. And not rock and roll loud, maybe, but reggae loud, I guess. Right, right. Um, and... Uh, at that time, I, I was like, okay, I could lean on Fabian. He could, if I need my lifeline, he's there. But yeah. then he couldn't go on tour. Suddenly, like a few days before, he couldn't go on tour. Oh shit! So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, they had hired uh, another friend of house, Michael Russell, great guy. Um, he was new. I was new. So it was just um, like very a lot of nervous energy of like, yeah, yeah. especially because he Fabian and the previous front house guy um, Errol Brown, who's a uh, a legend in like the reggae live world. He mixed Bob and he oh, mixed wow. Ziggy for many years. Um, Errol Brown. Okay. They basically both moved on essentially. So it was uh, Ziggy had these guys for many years, and then suddenly it's these two new guys. So. Um, the first show was okay. <laughs> we got through it. And then it just got better over time. It just got yeah. better. And then um, it was like 
the tour manager was the production manager. And then it got to a point where I think we had also changed tour manager or something. So then I was kind of like the most senior crew member. So it was like, all right, so you're a production manager. <laughs> oh, and, you just nominated you. Just, yeah. right, you're, you're the guy now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and you know, you just, I just learned as I went and yeah. Yeah. Cause that yeah. was your first experience as production manager as well. Right. Yeah. 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 That's cool. And so, um, obviously, you know, through those experiences and over that time, you know, you, you just started to build a better relationship with Ziggy, build more trust. You know, he started to realize like, okay, Duran, he got me, he got me. <laughs> and then, um, which I know I'm you, sure you've experienced as well. You know, it happens. Oh, yeah, with, yeah. 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 And that's funny. You mentioned that as far as you went into the gig and there was someone that had previously been there that was in your position. So you felt a little more, you felt some more comfort knowing that that person was there that you could kind of go to and ask questions and sort of lean on a little bit. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're not there. And then you're like, Oh shit, <laughs> I got to do this, man. <laughs> yeah. It's and like, I I've been there too. Like, cause every, every little thing helps when you're in those sort of situations of like, of comfort, you know, and it, it even when it comes down to just, someone who's on the other side of the snake, you know, right. right. Someone that you could bounce off and they, yep. you know, it's important. You could relate to it is man. And because even if they're you, on the other side of the snake, you're still doing mm -hmm. it together. Exactly. Exactly. And they understand the way artists works and they understand sort of the intricacies of what your job entails and some of the difficulties that, you know, that come and come along with that. So you're able to communicate that with them and, you know, it just help each other out. But when you're in a situation where all of a sudden that person gets cut out and then, someone else gets thrown in there that you're not familiar with, you know, you really just have to sort of rely on your own, um, your own, your own abilities right. at that point and, right. and be like, have faith in yourself and like, okay, this is going to be a test, but I got this, you know, right. and then, and then you might, you might even realize through that whole thing that, oh, the front house engineer, he's new too, but, oh, he gets it, you know, and then, oh, we get along and we could talk about things and he could help me and, he has, you know, great insight as well. So it's exactly how that went. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Um, when you obviously you said they were all on wedges at to begin to begin with. Did you eventually were you able to transition them to in your monitors at all? Eventually. <laughs> yeah. It, it was it was it was tough because um, he started out with three wedges in the front and side fills. Mm -hmm. Was and it one it, mix in the three was, wedges? Or? No, it was one mix in the middle it's and middle then and a pair two. on the outside. Oh, gotcha, okay. And then side fills. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just, it, it was hard to transition because it was always this thought of like the vibe. How do I, how do we have the same vibe in in-ears? Especially with Ziggy, it was always about vibe and feeling the music and yep. that connection. Um, and I always was thinking, how do I, how do we make this happen? Because this is just then. Then there was a point where I, I I didn't go on a tour and a butt fill got added. Hey Siri, what the heck is a butt fill? A butt fill is a monitor speaker located upstage center on the floor, typically in front of a drum riser. So now he had a mix in the front, uh, a pair, a butt fill, and sometimes side fills. Oh, shit. It yeah. was just like, just, like yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. Overkill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and...
I always thought like, okay, how do I do this? I I, I got to either get the drummer Santa Davis, who's also a, a legend in the, in the reggae right, world. Yep. I always thought like, okay, if he he's kind of like the father of everything. If I can get him on in years, then everyone will kind of slowly go from there. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, if I can get Ziggy, then everyone will have to. Um, so I was kind of planting the seed with Santa, and he was like, yeah, you know, let's try it, let's try it. And over time, and I planted the seed with Ziggy, same thing. Mm-hmm. And over time, one day, he was just like, all right, you're right, let's do this. Let's go into in-ears. So I was like, okay, if we're doing in-ears for you, we got to do in-ears for everyone. We're not like hodgepodge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was just a way for me to get everyone on in-ears oh, right yeah. then and there. So a 10-piece, um, you transition a 10-piece band from wedges to in-ears? Yeah, exactly. That's dope. So um, we did a rehearsal, and I, I was it, it's always scary doing that transition because oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. just never know, especially with artists they are used to a certain mm, way. Yeah, trying to teach old dogs new tricks sort of thing. Yeah, like, and like it, it's it's... It, it, it's exactly that it's in the muscle memory of like you're used to doing a certain thing and you hear it a certain way and stuff like that mm-hmm. but he gravitated toward it towards it really quickly like oh, yeah. as soon as we started he was like okay okay I, I like this and he was really comfortable um and the band liked it yeah. and the background singers liked it because they weren't getting blown out by guitar amps and just the yeah. loudness of the stage Some isolation yeah yeah <clears throat> And um, it, it it went it went really well like that transition and then and then I introduced this thing called the clang which I really yeah love. <laughs> I was, thank you have you used it I have and uh, oh, okay. that was definitely on my notes I wanted to talk about that man. <laughs> so yeah let's go into that Tell me um, so that was your first clang? experience using clang. With Ziggy? Actually, I it was used with it Ebby, before. Right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I have a really good friend, Sia, um, who's a great friend of house and production manager. He's mm-hmm. a really, really good friend of mine. And um, I was brought in. Actually, I met Sia going back to give some shout outs. Frankie and Jason Hines, oh, are, yeah. our really good friend, um, introduced me to Sia, and he was working with a Persian artist, Shadmir. And they needed a monitor guy. So I did that gig and I met Sia and we took a, a liking to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, he started working for Ebby, who's a really sweet, awesome um, Persian singer. Mm-hmm. Just like you, you'd never experience anything like this. Like every show at the end of it, he like forces you to come out onto stage and like hugs you and kisses you and like introduces you to the crowd. Really? Like in Farsi. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, awesome. you've never experienced anything like that. And he forces you like, like Get I remember the first here. time. Yeah. It was like, he was like, come, come. And then, and then like, you know, your other guys there are like, go, go. And I'm like, no, what? I'm yeah. not, why am I supposed to go? <laughs> And he's like, get it, you know, like, come on. And like, and the band's like playing on. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah. like waiting. <laughs> um, That's funny. But yeah, so th- I, I, I love uh, Ebby and, and the whole camp. He there. sounds amazing. And um, <laughs> so they, uh, it's a great experience. You never experience anything like that, you know. Oh, yeah. oh, oh and also like at the end of the show, you ha- what, whatever happens during the show, you have to say goodbye to him. And if you don't say goodbye to him, he's gonna be pissed. Like oh, if he if he didn't see you at the end of the night, like a goodbye hug, yeah, he will be pissed the next day. 
Um, so that's crazy. Uh, that's quite yeah. rare for anyone listening. That very that's, rare. Doesn't how it happens generally. Yeah, I mean, we're used to just like you show up at Loden, you see the artist then, and that's it. You yeah. know, and they'll be lucky if they say hi to you sometimes or anything. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. So. I got introduced to the Klang um, from Sia. He he's always up on like the latest technology, and mm. he uh, knew the Klang guys, and he brought it into Evie's world. Basically, he loved it. And when I heard it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome! Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome! It's just it, it basically you, Klang is." Well, can you so yeah. can you explain what it is for the people? Yeah, mm. basically Klang is. Um, a hardware and software that creates a binaural 3D image of um, your mix, your monitor mix. So instead of normally a monitor in your monitor mix is just a stereo left and right, just like headphones when you listen to any music, it's always just left and right. Mm -hmm. And you can pan, you can move something a little to the left, a little to the right. The guitars can be really wide to the left or... You could throw the hi-hat all the way to the right or something. Mm -hmm. But with Clang, it allows you to put things in a circular or a spherical motion, actually. Yeah, you can put things a little above. Yeah, 360 sphere. Yeah. Things can go to the right. Things can go to the left. Things can go above you, can go behind you, a little mm -hmm. to the bottom behind you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a great... It's a great piece of software and hardware, and um, we we use that in Evi. And once Ziggy was using in ears, and he was feeling comfortable, then I said, "Okay, now it's now we're going to the next level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's let's bring the the clang, 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 he really? loved it from the from the beginning. Like it, it always goes back to the vibe. He like as soon as we finished the first song in rehearsal, he was like, "Is is it on is the clang thing on? clang thing on?" I was like, "Yeah," and he said, "Hmm, okay, it's a vibe. <laughs> it's a vibe. It's a vibe." And I was like, "Awesome, we got this." Hell yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a great tool. I I mean I know sometimes people might think it's a, a gimmick or something like that, but it's just, it's a great way to transition people from wedges to ears because it really creates this extra space. And oh, yeah. It's really, have you messed with it? Yes, yeah, I would say it's quite a surreal experience. Like, if you're used to just a stereo mix or even mono mix and then you throw in the Clang 3D, you're like, whoa! It's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just a ethereal feeling of like, like you're in the music. It's just a different experience. It's hard to explain, but right. But yeah, like uh, when I was with Steel Panther back in probably 2004. Shouts out Steel Panther. That's right. That's my <laughs> boys. No, but uh, I was trying. I was gonna say Asian hooker. No, but uh, <laughs> no, but um, uh, I was gonna say. Oh yeah, so I was I was out with Steel Panther and. Phil, Phil Camp, who is like the, the rep for Clang Fabric, he hit me up. Oh, Shout no, out no, Phil, such it a was great actually, guy. That's right, Phil's amazing. I love Phil. But it was actually Jason Hines. He connected oh. Phil to me. He gave Phil my okay. number. And Phil hit me up. He's like, hey, man, Jason, you know, told me you work with Steel Panther. I love those guys. I would love to maybe try to get you guys on Clang. I was like, all right, what's this? You know, so he explained it to me. I was like, all right, so we are just about to go on to a European tour. 
So he actually met me in Hamburg probably like a week or two after the tour started. And he brought out the unit and um, it was still in kind of beta testing um, mode. So he's like, hey, man, would you mind, you know, running it? And any notes you have, anything that happens, please let me know. That way I could give it to our our designers and they could fix and, you know, implement any new fixes, bug fixes or anything like that. Yeah. So um, he came out, he set it up for me. I was on a Digico SD8 on that tour. So uh, we hooked it up and right away I was like, whoa, okay, (laughs) cool. You know, and I had, I was was using my iPad, you know, to the, because the, um, the Kling, uh, mix pad you would control, software. Yeah, you, you control the software through an iPad. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, I had my iPad set up and uh, I hooked it up to where I had the singers mix. I I use Clang on the singers mix. Yep. And then so I had it, and I love on the Digico where you could you could uh, switch uh, between Maddie and. Um, uh uh oh, your boy sounds a little confused. Like he's not quite sure what he's trying to say, but let's see if he can pull it together and figure it out. I'm confusing myself, but I was able to switch between um, the clang and his his normal mix, like just by sw- push of the button, you know? Oh, so, yeah, 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 gotcha. Yeah, so it was one of those things where we we tried it into a first few shows, and he would start off with clang, but at that point, too, it was still earlier in the... In the progress of it, so there were some latency issues going on. Sure, sure, sure. And so the singer was having difficulties singing with with that latency going on because it was it was sure. fucking him up. You know, it was his vocal was hitting late. Of and course, this and that. So yeah, over a few weeks, you know, we tried it, and I sent Phil notes. He sent it to um, their testing guys, and they fixed it, and then boom, sent it back. And by the end of the tour, everything had been all the bugs had been worked out. Oh, bugs had awesome. been worked out. Um, so that was really fun. Um, it was a little trip still feeling like <laughs> when you have it, like someone's bike behind you talking to you and you're like, what? Yeah. Oh, and it's like, you're chasing. It's easy for you to chase. Cause I said they yeah. were still, uh, at that point, I think they were still trying to develop a pack you would wear that would make it to where it moves it with you. Yeah. It follows yeah, you. They're still working on that. I think. Oh, they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was one of the things that I noticed right away. I was like, Whoa, it feels like I'm chasing like my tail almost. If I'm right, trying to right. chase a voice that's behind me, I keep looking and it's just, <laughs> I can't catch right. it, but um, but yeah. So I used it on that, and it was great. And then I used it again. Uh, I think like a year later on Alter Bridge, um, when I was out with them, and I I would only use it for myself because it was one of those things too. It's a little difficult while you're in the middle of a tour to implement something new like that, something that's sort of big like that, in into the into the mix, you know. Um, because it's just I, going back to the habits thing. Exactly. They're used yeah. to a certain thing. Yeah, it's like he's like one of those things. It's like if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. Why? Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as much as I wanted to, you know, really implement it into the um, the whole thing, it was I just sort of had to realize like, ah, this isn't really the right times. So it would be one of those things where if we had some rehearsal time and they knew the guy specifically, like, hey, yeah, we're gonna take some time to dial these in. You know, bear with me while I figure it out. Blah blah blah. I didn't have any of those opportunities, so you know, I just let it be. But um, my experience on it was great, and uh, I highly recommend anyone to <laughs> to take advantage of it if they can. Um, one of the bigger things I noticed for me, and I wonder if it was the same for you, is that if I did implement it into my workflow, I would have to create the mixes from ground up th- with the clang in line. 
because I noticed the clang when I when I added it in line, it added sort of like a, a darkness to, and I was I was felt like I was starting to have to EQ a little bit to like you know adjust to the coloration that it was bringing the clang unit itself. Um, how was that for you? Did you have any of that experience? I think by the time I think when I was using it with Ebby, um, and then once I brought it in with Ziggy, I mm-hmm. think that I got lucky because a lot of the kinks got worked out. Gotcha. But I think that um, I think now you you I don't have that that feeling of of. I, I guess like I I guess it's always good to have it in line because then yes you can EQ around that and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But to me, I feel like it's I in my ears I feel like now it actually adds more clarity or high end. And gotcha. I gotta say that um, it doesn't work for everyone. It yeah. doesn't you know some people it just doesn't it's not meant to be. And it's you can always distracting do, almost at times. I feel like yeah so it yeah and and. And sometimes it's like if you're if if it's just a singer and a bunch of tracks, like maybe they just uh, go left and right. You don't yeah. necessarily need it. For Ziggy, it works out great because he has ten different musicians, so it yep. creates all this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes your setups don't al- allow for it, or it's it's an extra thing you have to have in line, you know. So it doesn't work all the time, um, but if it if it works for you, I mean, it's it's a great great piece of gear and um i i I really like it and it again if it works for the artist why not if it doesn't it doesn't if they don't need it they don't need it i i felt that that time with ziggy we were getting because when we i introduced in years and also as a side note for the in years it, it worked out really well with him and i remember that when we actually when we first started we were using generics so it was like it was like ultimate ears but with the generic tips so it was the the actual driver you know and whatnot Mm -hmm. um and i hadn't his molds hadn't come in yet and we had this uh show at apple hq uh up in northern california Mm -hmm. and um it was for earth day and it was like playing in the lawn of apple headquarters and at that point in rehearsal we were kind of going back and forth between wedges and ears he just kind of wanted to hear the difference feel it so when we arrived i brought his ears just in case but i had assumed oh we're gonna do we're doing wedges he's not ready yet and it's not the molds it's just the generic because it's it's gonna pop out it's not gonna Mm -hmm. be comfortable so we didn't do sound check i got everything ready i had the ears ready just in case and in the dressing room, Ziggy always does like a pre-rehearsal um, with the band. And I always come in and check it and make sure like nothing's changed that I need to know about. Right. And something did change that day. He was like, so we're doing the in-ears, right? And I was like, um, we can, we can, <laughs> but maybe no. we should just do wedges. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was worried that sometimes I feel like with artists that when something goes wrong, it can affect how they perceive that actual thing. Oh yeah. And then they d- might not want to use it. So in this it turns case, I was off, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I was thinking, Oh, if his in-ears are constantly popping out and it's not comfortable cause it's generics, he might w- want to abandon the in-ear project altogether. Uh, altogether. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I in the dressing room, I was like, Ziggy, th- these aren't the right ones. It's not the molds. He's, and he was telling me, don't worry. Like, he's like, no, 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 oh, it's shit. okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he performed with the in-ears. He didn't really say, he didn't ask for anything. And then yeah. um, afterwards, he was like, cool, when are the molds coming? You know, so he was like, cool with that. And then going back to Clang is we got the molds, er, er, he everything was going great. And then we kind of hit another point where he was like, hmm, maybe I need to incorporate wedges again or something. So then that's when I was like, okay, here's another great thing, the Clang. It's going to open up yeah. your your mix, you know? So mm-hmm. the same thing, you know? It's just another tool that, like, um, it, you don't have to be beholden to it, but it's a tool and it works. It works for some people. It doesn't work for other mm-hmm. people. And, yeah. I like it. Yeah, that kind of uh, brings me to a couple of points. Is like when you are using in ears for people that aren't familiar, you know, a lot of artists are sort of resistant to it at first compared to having um, stage wedges because it's a, like you were saying earlier, it's a vibe thing. They want to feel the audience, they want to feel the music. So when they put in in ears, they feel isolated and they feel disconnected from the audience and the music itself, you know. And that's one of the more difficult things that you're trying to figure out when transitioning from wedges to ears is to create that space, that ambience for the artists in their ears so they feel like they're in the moment, you know, and they're, they're vibing with the crowd and all that. Um, and yeah, with, with Clang, it definitely creates way more space, creates way more ambience, allows you to sort of um, um, set that tone you know, in their ears. Um, as well, do you use um, audience mics to help with that as well? So for Ebby, audience mm-hmm. mics are as important as his own vocal mic. Hell yeah. Yep. Because for Ebby, he... Um, after every... After the song finishes, those audience mics need to be like guitars in his ears, like just like ripping like loud because oh, he yeah. just interacts with the audience mm-hmm. and it's very important. So audience mics are, are definitely, you write them in and out for Ebby. Um, on a VCA or? Yeah, yeah. Or just like right on, right on, on the, it. On I mean, input? yeah, point. sometimes like what I would do, like you set up your bank um on it we would use we we would use uh digicos mainly so i'd set up my like a money bank or something and the audience mm-hmm. mic would be right next to his mic or something gotcha like that. um yeah. and uh for ziggy we have an audience mic just for the multi-track recording it's not in anyone's ears oh okay and and they don't feel like they need it no and, yeah. and they don't like say like i'm missing the crowd kind of thing like they're hearing it through the mics yeah, yeah. there's lots of percussion mics drum mics and um they don't feel like they need it oh yeah and when you talked about maybe adding wedges to ziggy's setup with his ears as well um that was mainly just to kind of create like so uh semblance of like some air getting pushed and pressure like some yeah pressure yeah but i always that, told sorry. them i'm like it's it's one or the other <laughs> i oh, just really? made okay. it clear from the beginning <laughs> 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 Again, the you know sometimes you have to be assertive, but yeah, yeah and then yeah. I the, the thing is uh, it goes to the leverage of I had that rapport with him. I can say that exactly. to him. You yeah, know, yeah. you can't say that to every artist. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you can, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how it works out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, um, I just I just made it clear that 
you're, we're going to open up a can of worms of you're going to want to have one year in or oh, the yeah, yeah. delay, you know, just oh, all yeah. these little things that are going to add up. We're never going to mm-hmm. find a sweet spot. Yeah. So if you want to go to wedges, let's do it. All good. The band yeah. is happy on ears, you know, but yeah. um, he was he was comfortable after that, you know, and he, oh, yeah. and he trusted me. That's the other thing is like he, yeah. he trusts me. He knows like, OK, if what he's saying is true, then it's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, well, before we go, I just have a few more questions here. Are there any um, artists or bands that are sort of like on your bucket list that you would love to work with? Ooh. Uh, oh, man. Um, I think i think anyone i haven't worked with to be honest because there you go i always find that like if i'm like i wish i could work with that person and then let's say i do it just didn't work out it wasn't what i wanted you know (laughs) i feel you i feel you on that so i think i just my bucket list is artists that i haven't just anyone i haven't worked with before that's like my bucket list is just keep keep doing that oh yeah i like that that's one of those things. Say like, don't meet. People say, don't meet your heroes because you'll probably be disappointed. <laughs> <Seriously>, you know, <laughs> so, kind of true. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I could fall in line with that. You know. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And um, yeah, since you guys have been home, and, and you, you, you and Molly live together, yeah. Yes. Nice, man. So you guys just been kind of hanging out. It's been helpful for the relationship, just kind of being able to spend more time together. Or she want to kill you. It's like, why haven't you left? <laughs> <laughs> when are you going back out on the road? <laughs> one time, Molly's my girlfriend, and one time I told yeah. her, I was like, hey, I'll, I'm going to go um, sleep at my mom's so we can feel like I'm on tour. And then I'll just call you at like 2 a.m. when I'm <laughs> done with the show. So you get a break from me. And then yeah, yeah. Um, you still we still get – because every summer I'm gone. Every right? summer I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, and – yeah, we were just joking about that. We didn't. I didn't do that, obviously. But, but you kind of get you, you kind of get used to that as in a partnership, you know, like having those times that you know, okay, he's going to be gone or she's going to be gone, so this will be my time. And you know, whether I think most of us can appreciate that, you know, and probably need that more than we realize, you know. So I'm sure that it's 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 created some some difficulties maybe or just some differences you know since you've been stuck at home and just sort of having to sure i mean be i at, i be think at each other the whole time yeah i mean especially i'm sure in relationships with yeah uh, one side is touring or just one side is traveling it it could be mm-hmm. hard on both ends of like okay you're used to your certain times you do these certain things at certain times yep. and then vice versa um but we've been really great, really handling it well. And, like, I think we we learned – it's given us even more time to learn more about each other in a good way. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, and I get to spend more time with her, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, because you guys have been together for a while, but this is probably one of the longer stretches that you guys have been together at once, yeah? Right. I would assume. Right, right. You know, based on what you do and stuff. So, and, and shout out to Molly. I love Molly. Yes. She is the production manager or no, she's the GM. general manager, yeah. right? General, general manager, manager of the Roxy Theater. Keeping it in the, the Sunset family. Strip. That's right. <laughs> you know, shout out to those she's strong women out there holding it down. <laughs> so, she keeps I appreciate me Molly. Sane. I, 
There you go. Yeah. She's amazing. All right, buddy. Well, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, man. I just want to say thank you again, Duran, for joining me, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I felt like we could have just talked for a lot longer, but, you know. Thank you so much for having um, me. We'll, we'll stay tuned for the next time I get you on here, okay? Yep, for sure. Hell yeah, brother. We take care, man, and um, hit me up if you ever need anything, and uh, I'll keep you posted when we get this thing launched. All right, peace. fam that is a wrap episode 11 is officially in the books kobe (laughs) so yeah you know after listening back i have to say that there was so much about this particular episode that kind of took me by surprise in the moment because as duran was sharing some of his stories i realized that we had both been through some very similar experiences which was interesting because we ended up bonding over it and that in itself just really allowed the conversation to flow more organically and as a host I really enjoyed and appreciated that. And I hope as the listeners, you all did too. And that being said, I want to say thanks again to Duran Dina for joining me on the Dirty Decibel and sharing some really great insight on how to succeed and thrive within the music industry. So I hope you're all paying attention and took some notes. And yeah, make sure you all hit him up on the socials and show him some love on Instagram at Duran Dina, one word, and also on LinkedIn at Duran Dina. And after that, Please holler at us over here at the Dirty Decibel on Instagram and on Facebook at the Dirty Decibel Podcast. Bless us with a follow. Hit, hit us with some likes and please share with your friends because that would be oh so nice. Ha ha ha. And don't forget, stay tuned for the next episode via our socials. And also feel free to hit me up and drop me a note through email info at the dirty And I'm going to keep reminding you all. If by chance you do listen to the show via Apple Podcast, please take a second to subscribe, to rate, or to leave a review for your support and feedback is really helpful because, you know, anything we can do to drive more listeners to the show is greatly appreciated. So, uh, yeah, until next week, my friends, please stay safe. And don't forget, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So just chill. All right, everyone, peace. Tune in next week for episode 12 of the Dirty Decibel featuring Adam Leibov, front of house engineer for Mini Mansions and creator of Fire Pit Sessions. Invitation sent goodbye.